Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Before we get started today, I wanted to bring on a close, dear friend of the podcast. It's been four years since we spoke. You were one of my first guests on the Spent the Rent podcast. Santa, are you there? Oh, Patrick, is that you? Santa, I wanted to bring you back on. It's that time of the year again. You're going to be bringing joy to the residents of Lane County at the Valley River Center starting on November 19th. So this last year has been extremely challenging, and I'm hearing that there's a supply chain issue. Is that going to affect what's happening coming from the North Pole? Well, thank goodness I have several thousands of elves that are helping out with FedEx and USPS and and all all the different uh, extra people that are helping me out. Oh my goodness, if it weren't for those elves, I don't know what I would do. But we're backlogged, but we'll try to make it work. So yeah, November 19th, you'll be back at the Valley River Center. How many years has it been now that you'll be uh, at Valley River? Oh my goodness, I've been doing that for 10 years now and hopefully it'll keep on going that I can stop by. Santa, it's awesome to catch up with you and you have a happy holiday. Okay, thank you so much, Patrick. Uh, you you keep being on that good list, buddy. Now, hey, those back molars still need brushing, buddy. <laughs> That's a fact. Merry Christmas, Santa. Merry Christmas to you, too. Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the Director of Housing Services from Shelter Care, Dana Peterson-Crab. Dana, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. You had reached out to me or one of the people that you work with reached out to me and asked if uh, I'd be interested in having you come and talk about what you do to help the houseless community in Lane County. And I was like, this is so great because this is actually when you had reached out, it was about a month ago. That was what I had already wanted to be talking about. And that was already kind of lining up for I wanted to cover in the winter months. I wanted to cover the houseless situation in Lane County because it's the number one issue. It's the hot button issue. Everybody's talking about it. And during the winter months, when it's the coldest, it's the most dangerous for our unhoused community. We have a lot of people that don't make it through. So I wanted to talk about ways that you are helping people get homes and what people that are in that position can do and some address some of the myths in the you know in the whole culture of it and what citizens believe that may not be true and then we're also going to talk about the housing first model which is what shelter care is utilizing and the pros and cons of that and how it's working and how it's not working and that kind of stuff so thanks again thanks for doing this yeah no problem i'm just glad to be here yeah so let's get started by talking about you personally i want to know uh, like I had said before, you are the director of housing services at Shelter Care. 
what got you into this area of work? Well, it's kind of a lifelong story. I always had uh, kind of some ment- my own mental health stuff going on. So I had, I have depression and it kind of has always been there when I was in, I think it was second grade was when I first had a like psych test or whatever. It, um, like looking at these different pictures, I didn't really understand what was happening. It came back up again when I was 14, around 13, 14, that I started to have more anxiety and depression and not really understanding what was happening. So I've seen a lot of therapists, talked to a lot of social workers. And I think it was around 14 that I was like, oh, these, I don't like the people that I'm talking to. I kind of feel like I can, I should do this. And another long sort of weird route led me to doing this kind of work. So I really liked the connection with people and that I was like, I want to help people because I didn't understand what was happening to me. Sometimes still today, I don't understand what's happening to me. Um, It feels really uncomfortable to feel like you're not part of your own mind like in control sometimes yeah that resonates a lot with me my mother struggled with ptsd and a lot of trauma and depression and mental health and so did my brother and they're both gone i have mm -hmm. you know a lot in my life i've you know so that resonates a lot with me and i'm i'm really and with my mom she was a social worker she went from uh being a single mom you know divorcee or whatnot to being a social worker with a master's degree and multiple degrees and, and really successful. And so, so very similar. So I have a ton of respect for that. And, mm-hmm. and thank you for, for being so open about that. Cause I think it's so incredibly beneficial to people that are at every step of that process, you know, and, and so that's huge. So 12 years that you've been with shelter care and you'd said you had kind of bounced around what led you to shelter care. I, I noticed a little bit of an accent, so I don't think you were an, a Eugene native, Mid- oh no, I'm originally from Illinois. Yeah. Uh right across the river from St. Louis, Missouri. So uh I worked at I've always kind of worked, ended up working in a field that was where I had to relate to people. So or take care of people. Uh I worked for like seven or eight years in summer camp and uh Dubois Center. <laughs> Um, so I love doing that work and I, but the best part was like connecting to the kids who were like angry or, uh, sad, or there was something going on for them and I could talk to them and just connect to them and say, what's going on. And I love doing that part. And I still sort of, it was kind of like resisting a calling in, in a sense, because I, I was like, well, I like doing theater. I think that's what I'm going to do. But I just kept coming back around to this, like connecting with people and, you know, meeting people in my life who were uh, like helpful to me, who, who were like, oh, listened to what I had to say and not like, you have to be this way or you have to do this thing. They were like, what's going on? Like, what's getting in the way? for you and having those connections with people from camp i got into uh it was like a young mentor role 
in a small community in Illinois. Um, I totally forget the county, but it was like these tiny river communities like Waterloo, Car- or uh, Columbia, and Dupo. And it's just these small communities where there wasn't a whole lot for kids to do. So I would, you know, hang out with them, try to model healthy relationships with people. Um, and I just loved all of that work. And when I uh, moved out to Oregon, I'm like, I also got my degree in social work. So I have a bachelor's degree in social work. And it was just like, I found my passion in that. Yeah. Do you think, so I know from personal experience with, with dealing with like alcoholism and recovery, which, you know, depression can, can, came from that for me, but a lot of it, or it, it showed its head more. Uh, Do you find for me, helping people is the biggest reward and the, and the best medicine, you know, is, is by giving and, and, and giving of yourself, you know? So for me, I've, I've found like when people five years later, they're like, how did you do it? And I can kind of be like, well, here's some tips, you know, here's, here's some things to, to start with. And I'm not an expert on it. I'm not, you know, professional like you are in, the, in your field, but do you find that that is for your own personal headspace that by giving back that has been the best kind of quote unquote, the best medicine? it's sort of a double-edged sword because like I can do too much. Sure. I get a benefit from it. I like doing it, but when I, if I don't like, I'm really hard on myself. The other piece of that is just like, I want to do so well that like, sometimes I'm like, if I wasn't nice enough or if I wasn't always acting in kindness, I sort of beat myself up and I'm like, I think the biggest struggle for a lot of people is that um, we give so much kindness to other people. We got to be kind to ourselves too. And kind of that self kindness. Well, there's also a vulnerability in when people are needing help that, you know, the, the magnitude of, of when someone comes to you, what they're asking for. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pressure to, step up when you uh, when you decide that you're going to do the work then you better you know you better follow through kind of thing because it's very important to not leave people hanging Mm -hmm. so let's talk about uh shelter care so shelter care what is shelter care's primary goal and first of all what is shelter care shelter care is based in lane county or is it national shelter care is um just based in lane county um they've been around for 50 years um providing they started um, with providing shelter and then start as it grew, became supported housing. Uh, we had apartments in the community, partnerships with landlords, um, and it's just kind of grown into um, shelter services, medical recuperation. Um, we have bev- behavioral health services. Uh housing all of the we try to cover kind of like a lot of the bases transitional housing so that's what we've grown up into and i'm i mean like our mission is to compassionately house people yeah and and provide them the supports and services that they need to be successful and independent and in recovery out in the community yeah how how do people usually find out about shelter care 
I think various ways we partner with Homes for Good. We try to partner with a lot of different agencies just to get our get ourselves out there. Um, we work with we promote on our you know social media like other groups when you know things are going on that they um, are really just like doing great work and. Uh, we go to, for example, we have, um, REDS, which is a diversion program. So somebody who's just coming into a situation where they've just lost their home or just entering the system. We want to try to see if there's anything that, you know, could be done to help them avoid, um, entering into the shelter system. Um, that could be any myriad of things and i mean like that ice is a little bit of a a weird thing because of course you know like if you're you're trying to think of everything possible to avoid you know going getting into that situation but um sometimes we can offer some assistance or direct somebody into the right assistance to help them um you know avoid that avoid the the shelter systems. So we do a lot of outreach to in um, like the Lindholm Center. Mm-hmm. That's where we usually are. So my next question, you kind of already kind of answered. I was going to ask, you know, what do outreach efforts look like? But you know, I mean, I guess if somebody finds themselves homeless, is it just is is there where is the first place they normally go? You know, for help. It dep- I think it depends largely on the person. It's really hard to to identify. I think um, most of the time that when I come in contact with someone, it's they're just calling around. Yeah. Like they Google or go to um, use the two one one resource. Yeah. And you know that one is something whatever I wasn't, comes up. I wasn't even aware of this. Until last last episode, I was interviewing Kevin Cronin. Shout out to Kevin mm-hmm. Cronin. He's uh, does does a ton of work in in advocacy for the affordable housing is his main focus. Uh, but he talked about two one one, and explain to me how that works and what what kind of stuff two one one offers. So that's a United Way two one one. You can call the number. I've never actually. I usually just use the computer because you can go online. Um, it's a United Way funded service and they have just lists of um, agencies that provide services and what type of services that they provide. I think sometimes it's, it's difficult with those things like Whitebird has a help book. Um, so the help book does a similar, serves a similar purpose. It's just on a book and paper sure. form. Um but they have all of the the agencies services that you might want to want to find. Um, yeah, and I mean it's just a, you know, the four one one is is calling for info. It's an info line. So two one one. Yeah, exactly. Two one one is is directly for people that are trying to get back on their feet. Uh, in when people find themselves houseless, and this it's a broad swath of people, and so it's a broad swath of needs, and and situations. But on average, how quickly is the process of being houseless to housed? For us, it, uh, 
usually, I think on average, lately, it's been about 60 to 90 days. Yeah. Um, we used to, in some circumstances, we'll get lucky and have somebody within the first 30 days of um, entering our program get into something. And you're talking um, about long-term housing. So in the meantime, there may be sheltering, right? Oh, like yeah. The, okay. Yeah, And shelter can be... Um, so we work primarily with uh, centralized weight. The county, Lane County um, Human Services Division has a centralized wait list. And this is for specific government programming, government funding that uh, goes to emergency shelters. So an emergency shelter, if you are unhoused and you go to one of the agencies like uh, Catholic Community Services has some assessors that can help get people onto the centralized wait list. Um, I think St. Vincent de Paul has some assessors. And um, so you go to an assessor, get connected with them, and they can connect you to um, some folks to get you into a shelter. Um, Sometimes, and I'm not sure from the date that somebody gets assessed to when they can get into shelter. It's a little bit different because we have very like multiple different streams to fund the shelter services. Right. So it just depends on that first assessment where you end up and how quickly you can get into shelter. But um, for a medical recuperation, as soon as somebody is ready, we get those referrals from Pacific Source, Trillium, uh, the essentially the insurance provide Medicaid insurance providers, and those can go pretty quickly within a few days. Because um, that is somebody who's recovering from surgery, who's not um, sick enough to stay in the hospital, but still needs like a shelter so that they can, you know, keep the wound clean, do right. the the care and stuff that they need to do. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about, you know, do you mostly at shelter care specifically, do you mostly deal with individuals or families or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. We have, um, housing services for families who primarily do, like work with, um, families. So they have some families, about four, four or five family shelters, um, they have a rapid rehousing program. Rapid rehousing is um, support and rent assistance um, for up to, it can go up to two years, but it's um, meant to be sort of transitional so that, you know, I just need a little bit of help to get back on my feet. And then we have the Keystone Project, and that is permanent supported housing for 15 families. And in our other programs i think there's uh in our permanent supported housing side of things we have uh just a handful of families now what is uh explain to me per, uh, permanent supportive housing what it is and what is shelter care's role so permanent supported housing is a comes out of the kind of the housing first idea we have a mix of scattered site units. So these are units that 
are just out in the community. Our folks could be your neighbor, you know, uh, across the street. And um, we're we really want people to be integrated in the community. So it's as much like something that they found in the first place. And we're our side of things is to offer the rent assistance. So it's subsidized. Um, and then in that time, we're building, we're helping people to connect to resources. Um, if they're looking for a substance uh, treatment, substance use treatment, right. um, if they're looking for behavioral health treatment, medical doctors, whatever the case may be, if they're looking for a church, if they're looking for a volunteer opportunity, if they're looking for a job, um, our housing services are a jack of all trades. So they go in, help people to kind of like connect to those things and help them to like, and stay with them while they're trying to figure that out because um, there are some skills that are lost because right. the people who are coming into these programs, like, you know, have been homeless for years, a year, for a long time. Sure. Or and so when you're that, out, the reason that they needed the help was because they maybe don't have those life skills. Now mm -hmm. I hear a lot of talk about vouchers. Is that what they're talking about? So when people, is that with permanent uh, supportive housing, is that where you could get a voucher where basically it's like, we will help you pay your bills, but there's not a, but, but the, but the deal is, is that there's going to be follow through. There's going to be oversight where somebody's kind of checking in to make sure that, you know, you can manage these, these tasks to keep your house afloat, you know, is that, is that kind of the, the model or? No, well, it's, um, you don't have to like participate in any of the services. Like it's not a voucher program. We do have with the comments on MLK with the Keystone, our partnerships with homes for good. Those two are, uh, like project-based vouchers. So they're one site and each of the units are basically a voucher in and of themselves. Right. So, um, and we provide the service, we partner with them to provide the services. Like I just talked about. Right. So I guess it just kind of depends more or less. Yeah. What level it's really someone needs. Like, yeah. Sometimes people are a little bit more on their own. Sometimes people need a little bit more help. Exactly. And, and those folks that need just a little less of our, like the high intensity, you know, like weekly visits from what have you, those folks are, we're just waiting for a voucher sometimes because yeah. they don't have enough um, resources. They don't have enough income to like afford, I mean, the rents in this community. Right. Um, and move in costs. So the, we're just waiting for the vouchers right. a lot of the time. And they've gotten, because they've built up the skills and we're checking in to see how those skills are going. And they're just ready. They're just waiting. Right. So let's talk. Let's go dive, deep dive into the housing first model. And then we'll get to some myths and some other various issues I wanted to address before, you know, getting out of here. So let's talk, dive deep into the housing first model. Explain to me how the housing first model works. And yeah, let's just start with that. So traditional, like <clears throat> traditionally, it would be, okay, you want to get into this rent. Uh, assistance program you want to get into these services you have to be clean you have to be you know taking your meds you have to like meet all of these check all these boxes um, housing first says let's do housing first and get you into a place 
so that you don't have to worry about your basic survival needs anymore. And we can help, we can meet those so that you can focus on those other things, the other aspects of, of your health. So housing is number one in our book. And when people have that, they don't have to worry about um, where they're going to sleep tonight, where their food's coming from. um, If they're going to get like, if they have found a place to sleep, are they going to have to, you know, gather everything up and move? Are they going to lose their stuff? I mean, trying to hold on to your medications. I mean, if I had to take insulin and I'm outside, that's, that's impossible. Yeah. So I think with the housing first model, it just says you get housing and first, so then you can focus on these other things and to take it even further. Some of our folks, it's like, Understanding a lease and all of the nuances of a lease, we're not going to be successful that first time. We're going to have to find another place to live after this. So we're going to keep supporting somebody and moving them into another apartment so that they, and about, I honestly, like the third or fourth time that you get into a new place, that's the place. Yeah. Because it changed some, the, you know, like, as you learn and as you take in those kind of learning situations, those learning lessons, you're like, oh, okay. Right. And now I and get it. their this level of need. Thing. Exactly. The level of need changes. And so the situation of where you might be at might change. Uh, so this model, Housing First, the Housing First model is gaining a lot of national traction. Uh, is, has this, was this something that was started here or was this? No. Okay. No, they, uh, they're... <laughs> Like Utah, I think was the first place that really got like the, the attention, national attention. I think it's been like in New York, um, East coast. Um, I think they had very like a housing first model, but, um, I think Kentucky was thrown in there as, uh, different models of care, um, go, but housing first is. Yeah, it's all over the place now. I think yeah. there's Colorado just had a really successful out some successful outcomes with one of their projects for um, the fuse population, frequent user system engagement. Um, I, I want to yeah, talk to about you know some of the struggles and challenges with it. I, I've I've heard talk that one of the major issues with that with the model is staffing. And that's an issue across the board in every area of of America right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. But staffing issues and the limits to, you know, getting to basically the limits to federal funding. It's like the admin costs aren't covered. So there's not enough workers to actually do what is required because there's not enough federal funding. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? How do we fix that when people are so they're like, we've paid enough, you know, like people are like, I don't want to keep paying for it. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, the issue I see, and these are my words, is that you have conservatives that are constantly fighting not to, or Republicans, whatever you want to say, constantly fighting because they're like, I don't want these social programs to work because then they're going to want more of them. So let's just cut the funding to them so that they'll fail. And then we can say that they don't fail and we'll keep getting reelected. <laughs> and it's this mm-hmm. vicious cycle where 
you have to invest. So, I mean, I guess, what are some of the struggles that you see? Is that is that the major one is funding, basically? Yeah, funding is, it's, it's difficult because you're talking about the length of time that it takes to kind of figure out like, oh, okay, we're going to fund this. And now everybody gets into a room and they make decisions about how much will go where um, that comes down to like the county level. Um, and then by the time it gets here, they're like, here is a hundred dollars. Yeah. You have to spend $70 or $85 on direct support, rent, things like that. But this other little bit is for you, the people that work for you, um, how you have an office and keep your lights on. You do have to have internet. So that like 10 or $15, that all has to cover that. Ew. And we want you to, to, you do have to submit these quarterly reports that are like 17 pages long and you have to detail all of this information. And we're like, oh, you, who do, who, who do that? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we don't have enough money to pay for somebody to do that. There's so many of these regulations that kind of, and I mean, like I get it. I, where, uh, where I lived in Illinois, I saw a lot of, there was a lot of corruption yeah, and that's the, there's, that's the catch there's always going to be that stuff. I mean, like we see it in for-profit, we see it in nonprofit, um, but nonprofits by and large are so careful because we have to do all of these different things and we're taking care of people. Right. So we want to make sure that like people see like, this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. Right. Um, it's so difficult. That's the age old, you know, question challenge is that, mm-hmm. you know, you have all these, these goodwill program programs that are, are the, the goals are to help. And then there's just not enough funding, which makes it seem like it's not working. And then people are like, see, these programs don't work. People just need to work. And it's not that simple. It's just not, yeah. it's just not it's that not, simple. You know, it's and, just not, I mean, like you're going to pay for it some way. Right. So like you take that like years ago in the sixties where they closed down a lot of the mental health hospitals because they were expensive. Right. And, um, and so they closed those down and now all these people are out in the community with nowhere to go with no community supports without community community supports are much cheaper than because what's going to happen. People are going to go to the hospitals. They're going to go to these public services that are much more expensive and right. like it's not really a useful thing yeah. or it's you going know. to the hospital. It's going to like jail, prison, right? Where, Which is where maybe by design. Go? You know, that's one of the things I used to jokingly say this, but when people would say, uh, do you have a primary care provider? And I would say, oh yeah, the emergency room, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and how is that cost effective for our society? You know? So, so especially since, you know, when I was in those positions, I wasn't going to pay for it. It was it was bridges assistance or whatever it was because I didn't have the money. So mm-hmm. thank God there was the programs. But I'm just saying that it's like that's not cost effective. It just there's a meme I saw one time. It's funny. It was it was so true. And it was a picture of John Boehner, but it doesn't matter. And it just, it just said <laughs> it just said, you know, we've we're, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. And it's like that strategy is just not going to work. So we're going to have mm-hmm. to make these these programs like housing first that are actually using some thought where we're like, let's be humanitarian about this, treat people with dignity so that they then can start working on their mental health and fighting their addictions. If that's the case, a lot of it's not addiction. We're going to talk about that, 
you know, yeah. in and a we bit. have to pay the people who are doing the work exactly and a livable wage, right? So, or we have to. I've said no to program, like, I've said no to funding because it didn't, it wasn't going to pay for the people who were doing the work, sure. And that's the thing that we, I mean, like, that's what we'll, we'll see more and more is like it's so much work to get even just get the funding it's so much work and it's qualified um, work it's more than just volunteer work because there yes. is there is stuff that the volunteers incredible you can get mm -hmm. and we need more and more and more people doing things so that they can fill in gaps but you need people that are trained you know that know and and know the situation so that they're not constantly just kind of winging it you know so that they do things that they've are tried and true that they've proven to work so that takes funding and that takes sustainable income for the mm -hmm. employees to want to stay in that field. So that's, that's a big one. Uh, you know, let's talk about some of the myths with homelessness and then we're going to actually, we'll get to that in just a second. Let's talk about COVID. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how housing navigation in the COVID area, this was a question given to me by Kevin Cronin. Uh, what does it take to go from looking to lease up and how much more challenging is it during the COVID era? It is, it's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, we have had to put different like safety protocols in place. Um, some of those, some of the things that we would have liked to do, we just didn't, couldn't do because there wasn't resources. Um, but it's, our folks have, we have challenges with transportation. So if we were to, you know, like go see a place, to go see a place, to check it out, to look, to see if it's, um, you know, the layout's going to work or like it's in a good location for the person, like anything that we would do, it's challenging because it's, it was hard to get around on the bus um, and, or it's, you know, pretty far out there so transport you have to you know pick somebody up and when everything first started we weren't transporting anybody so it just i it mean just adds another layer yeah it was so it was so challenging yeah. and um but now we've gotten i think we've gotten really good about like how we're how we're getting people housed and um have I mean, like, really, that comes down to some of the landlords that we've been working with who've been just so understanding, who've wanted to help, who, you know, trust us as an agency. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, without I just big shout out to the to the landlords um, who are, are working with this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to name them because I won't name any every, all, sure. all of them. That's good, because uh, sometimes <laughs> I great. think that they there's that's that's good to hear because a lot of times you only hear the negatives mm -hmm. you know you don't hear the positives that there's been people that have just been super great in that and so that's awesome this may not be something you do and maybe it is but what about vaccine for the houseless community is that is there a lot of outreach efforts uh, i actually uh oh gosh i'm not going to drop the name because i've been talking behind the scenes with the group that is working to do that specifically but is that something that you've kind of seen those efforts you know, and how that can work. I mean, cause that's something that when we're talking about transporting people, it's like, if they're unvaccinated, it adds a whole different, different risk, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've had, uh, su successes with 
vac- some of the vaccine clinics. I know that um, in our partnership with Home for Good, um, the comments on MLK, we have had a couple of vaccination clinics there um, for the residents. So they set those up and I mean, like they've been great. Uh, we've had a mobile clinic out to our shelter sites and I think we, and, and just like spreading the word, but yeah, there's definitely a need for, we, we've supported, I think other agencies, you know, like just saying like, you need us to sign a letter. Do you want a letter? Like, what do you need? Let's get this going. So we'll, I, we support that fully to get vaccinated because it's, especially with um, when everything hit, we lost like hundreds of shelter beds, like places for people to go. It was a significant amount. And we're just trying to start getting back up there because we were all, it was all congregate shelter. So like you're sharing space with everyone. Yeah. And it's just been a real challenge. Like that was, that was the biggest hit i think that the community took was just losing those beds i can't even imagine i you know i've talked to chris McAllister quite a bit about mm-hmm. uh the work with the shelters that he was working with and during the covid lockdowns and how much it was just what i mean it was harder to find volunteers it was harder to find people paid workers he you know they were asking people i mean it's just so many layers of of challenge there and yeah, that was that was not a good situation. I'm glad it's starting to slowly get better, but it you know, we we all we're all kind of just with covid we're all like I fool me once. Like I don't trust that we're out of the woods. We're Mm-mm. not out of the woods. There's so much more and it could get worse and we just we're all being, you know, very careful, but the most important thing we can do is continue to just get people to get vaccinated, make sure to get your booster shots and fight through the, you know, hysteria on social media and just you have to just ignore it and just keep keep putting out facts and science mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's so challenging. Uh, so let's talk about some myths in, in the houseless community, because I think that for people there's, there's just, it's so easy. And I've found myself doing it too. There, I mean, I came up with some stupid idea. Well, I don't know if it was stupid. I was thinking about the reasons people became, are starting to have like this almost festival feel of houselessness there. And I'm not saying everyone, I'm saying a small group, but we saw it in 2009 with the Occupy Wall Street movement. There, then there was the sleeps camp. And then it felt like there was this whole kind of comfort level of a structure of like a festival feel where people are like, wait, I'll just do this and not try. And that's really frustrating to people that are working hard and doing things. And I know that's a small group and I, I know it exists. I've seen it with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. But what is the most common cause of houselessness? I mean, it's, it's, it's not drug addiction like people think. I mean, what is it usually? Um. Uh, not having enough income yeah or i mean like if you cannot afford rent i remember i mean like even four years ago so i've worked in with shelter 12 years and i've always worked with um you know rent assistance or housing um providing service to to folks who are in rapid rehousing so like rent was always on my mind and really within like the like five or six years ago i just remember like talking to other people and recognizing that like rents are going up 
well, like within a year, $120, less than a year. So, I mean, these rents were like just skyrocketing. And around that same time that uh, landlords were no longer, or property management were no longer able to like say no section eight. So we did see an increase in rents like right before that happened um, or right as that was happening. And like some of these um, kind of tenant protection laws, you'll see an increase like right before. Um, So rents have just like skyrocketed. We have more people. I'm from Illinois. I'm part of the problem. I came in here, took up some space. I think you're doing your part to balance out that. It's, <laughs> an, trying, it's a net gain. Know, it's a net gain, what you're doing for but the community. But it's, it's the reality is that we do have a lot of people coming from other places sure. into our community. And that our community isn't, it's not like property-wise, it's not growing out. And you can't grow up. So there's, just, where do we, we're just like trying to, you know, fill little spaces here and there. Um, And I think we have to talk about this. It's just a very big problem. Mist wise. We, I, we see all of our, all the folks that we work with usually have some sort of um, mental health diagnosis. So on our end, mental health is the biggest um, kind of barrier that we're seeing. So depression. um, Those are symptoms of, yeah. De- yeah. Depression, symptoms. addiction, addiction, drug use. Mm-hmm. Those are symptoms of mental health. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So when you're we want, self-medicating, yeah. you can't get your stuff or it's the only thing that makes you feel better. Or, dis- or I mean, really what I, the reason that I would use when I was younger was to disappear for a few hours to mm-hmm. not, to not have to, Ugh. you know, and what I tell college age kids about drugs and stuff, I'm, I'm not going to lie and be like, don't ever do anything ever, you know, don't ever explore your brain. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's like, you, that's not going to be an effective method. Like, just just say no. It's not going to work to tell people that. But what I say is, like, if you're trying to escape that, maybe, you know, everything out there, maybe just explore a little bit. But if you're trying to escape this, what's inside your brain, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, we were talking about going to raves. And I was trying to meet him where he's at, you know, because he's 20 years old. And I'm, I'm talking to this kid. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to tell you, like, don't do things, you know what I mean? But I'm also wanting to make sure you understand. It's like you need to be self-actualized enough to address that you're having these triggers that make you want to escape your own brain. And that's going to be a dangerous recipe, you know? <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. uh, now what are some other myths about the houseless community that, that for you that are, are irritating and frustrating? Is there any that I pop up? Like the number of people, like – the number of that there's just people coming here for services. I'm so glad you say this. Yeah, go on. Because yeah. I don't, I, we just don't see that. There's so many folks that we work with who are like uh, people who I know grew up here are like, oh yeah, that person I knew in high school or this person that I'm like, these are people from this area. Right. Yeah. There's people. Ca- I mean, like I said, I'm, from Illinois. Sure. There's people coming into this community all the time and yeah, we have services, but <laughs> uh we turn a lot of people away. We don't we're not able to help everyone and there clearly isn't enough. I think a lot of it is just like I said, the causes of homelessness, the myths are all going to be surrounded in people don't have enough income. Right. 
and the rents are too expensive and they've been outside for a really long time. I mean, how do you get a, yeah, there's jobs available. How do you get a job when you don't have transportation, don't have a place to like take care of your hygiene needs? Right. Well, it sounds like to me, the most important thing we can do as a society is let's focus on talking about mental health so that we can, because mental health can lead to not being able to work, not being able to have income, you know, you know, and so if we can talk about mental health, we can talk about affordable income, you know, or living a livable wage and affordable housing, those, those three things. And then we can really start to, to mm-hmm. change this as opposed to like, you know, just get people the jobs and tell them to stop doing drugs. That's not gonna, that's not gonna work. Like it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And people want to say, oh, it's only happening in liberal communities. And maybe there is a sliver of truth to that. Like when, like you're, what you're saying about this myth that people come here because of services. It's like, well, you're not going to stay where you're literally the only thing that you're going to, that, that it's going to, people are going to tell you the solution is that you can just die in the street, you know, you know? Well, and I, if you look at other places in other cities, like, um, for example, my St. Louis, there's, if you're at, it depends on where you're at because people are not going to be super visible because when you're super visible, it's going to be, you're going to be arrested or picked up or people are not going to put themselves out there so that they can get, get into trouble. But if you're in the right place, like St. Louis library, when it um, closes for the night, everybody, you see, you know, everybody suddenly comes out of that building and like, there's a church like right. nearby and you'll see people start to like hang out outside of the church or try to get just trying to find a warm place to be just shelter, just shelter. Yeah. 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 And that's what people are looking for here. Um, it's just that here we can see them. Right. They're in front of our faces. Yeah. And we're again, that like small, when you have a smaller, it's condensed area. There's a lot of like reasons that I think it's, it's different here. Totally. I think big, bigger cities and Eugene's growing, you know, in bigger mm-hmm. cities, you see it a lot more prevalent. I mean, Los Angeles, it's an explosion of, mm-hmm. of houselessness and Portland obviously is just, I mean, there's just so much, yeah. so many, so it's many. N- and it's not new. No, like, of course not. Um, no. None of it's new. Like there's just a, we're, and I like, I'm glad that you said that. I think about Eugene all the time. Like it's, it's kind of this new, it's growing up yeah, and it's, it's like in that weird not metropolis. Op- yeah. But it's I mean, awkward teen stage sure. is where we're at. Maybe. I mean, Springfield is like 70,000 people, you know? And so, so Eugene Springfield and then, I mean, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. expanding and shrink and you know, the gaps between it is shrinking and I mean, it's just growing a lot. So I've grown, I've lived here for 25 plus years and I'm an Oregonian born and raised. So I've seen it changed dramatically and it'll be interesting to see what things look like in a couple years when covid hopefully is we'll just say under a little bit more control Mm -hmm. uh so we we don't have a lot of time left there's a couple things i wanted to talk about first what are your thoughts on odot the oregon department of transportation placing boulders under the bridge on coburg road so if you drive like if you're heading from springfield is where i was coming or coburg so i went 126 and then hit coburg like i'm going basically under the Fray street bridge uh, now on the left-hand side, they've put in these massive boulders so that people can't sleep there. Ugh, this is so difficult because in some ways I see it where it's like, well, maybe that's not the right place to be. 
But in some ways, I think it is the right place for people to be. You're not in a commercial area. You're not in a residential area. You're kind of in a no man's land. And it's like, whatever, mm-hmm. just go ahead and sleep there. It's covered. You're not going to get rained on, you know, but yeah, it's difficult. What are your thoughts on it? It's a, it, again, it's a, that tough situation. It comes down to where do folks go now? Yeah. Because there, you know, you, if we just keep taking away places, say, okay, I don't want people sleeping in front of my business or I don't want people in my garbage or I don't want the, you know, like not at the park, not at the, not at the park, you know, not at the, you right. know, that public in um, public places. So, Oh, and also not in places like under bridges where like yeah. I wouldn't have noticed them anyway. Right. Um, not on near train tracks. I, we just keep moving the goalposts yeah and which is un- really unfair to some folks because like and also for i can't imagine for the outreach folks who are out in the streets like you know doing doing that work um you're kind of trying to find we and service providers are trying to find people and if we keep move if they keep having to move we can't get to them right that's a different thing i didn't think of yeah that it's like i don't now we have to you know, discover where they're staying and, and now it's mm-hmm. spread out more too. So yeah, I don't know. Now, last question, and then we're going to get out of here. What are other services uh, and groups, nonprofits, what have you in our community that are doing great things? And besides shelter care, I know that you, your name pops up all the time when you talk about the services in our community and, and one of the best programs. But what are some other services that you'd like to shout out in our community? And we're not going to, we're going to, of course, we're going to leave people out. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Like I want to give a shout out to core, uh, you know, core for the, they do the street feeds and because they're finding, I'll let you go, but, but they're finding a group that's, that's underserved because it's kind of like the punk rock teens, you yeah. know? So th- <laughs> it's just so cool that there's like, a specific focus and it's not just that anybody can come you know and and, and i'm going to try to get them back on the podcast and had them on in the past and i encourage everyone to go back and listen to those episodes uh with blair conrad homeless and eugene was one of my best most successful episodes she was actually homeless turned her life around she mm-hmm. she cited shelter care as as a service that really helped her a lot what are some other services in our community that you think are doing some great things Oh, Core was, I was going to like, I was like, okay, I'm just going to name two. And Core was going to be one of them because. I stole that. <laughs> yeah. But hey, it's your show. Do yeah, what you need right. to do. Um, <laughs> Core, they're, they're so wonderful. I mean, to grow, they've grown so much in the last like few years. The things that they do, they really did find that community, that age group that needed some support and they were out there i just remember i was so pleased to see them out they were out there in the thickest smoke during the wildfires yeah. just delivering stuff giving people masks getting them water um doing everything i mean like it they're they're the postman of outreach yeah neither wind yeah, sleep or rain I, everyone go back and listen to that episode mm-hmm. it's, it's a good one yes they're great so um we got one, I would also, one more yeah one more carry it forward okay uh yeah. they've been another group who just grew has grown and grown and grown and really supports 
folks in a way that's, um, I feel like it's just so kind of holistic, like showers, outreach, huts. uh, I mean, you know, helping people to develop job skills or they do all, they just do it all. They're kind of wonderful. Yeah. If Chris McAllister decides to run for public office again and you don't vote for him, you don't care about your community. I'm just, (laughs) yeah, I, I no, I I think that was such a great race that he was running in a, in a campaign against two amazing candidates in Mm -hmm. for city council in Springfield. Uh, but Chris McAllister who works with carry it forward is doing just incredible work. He's an incredible human being. And I will endless talk- energy. Oh my gosh! And- Compa- endless energy, compassion for. I, I I mean, like I don't even know. Tireless, yeah, tireless. Yes. Yeah, some would say a chihuahua, but but so <laughs> so. This is why I love what I do because I get to meet people like you. Not only are you kind, you're compassionate and and doing really positive things for our community. But I've met people like Chris, and I've met people like Kevin Cronin, and I've met people like the people at Core. And I just am really honored to be able to give a platform to people in our community that are actually trying to make a, a change and make a difference. And so it's really cool. And and I am, you know, I do my part by just giving the platform and, and put it out there into the ether and then have the whoever wants to listen to it can, you know. But it's really neat. And, and I'm, I'm honored to 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 have you as a guest and also learn more about the programs that we're doing. Now, the website... Oh, I didn't write it down. It's is it sheltercare.org? Is it that simple? Yes. Okay. Sheltercare.org yeah. yeah. is the website that people can go to. And there's a ton of information. If you'd like to donate, volunteer, there's all kinds of opportunities for that there. And there's also probably links to other services and different, you know, sources for for more information. I looked at the website, it's beautifully crafted. I took the picture for the flyer uh of your team. You guys all putting your hand in together. Uh and it was a cool one. And so, uh, yeah, shout out to everybody at Shelter Care and, and Dana, it's really awesome to meet you and thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I consider you to be a friend now. I'll definitely be shooting you a Facebook request. Excellent. <laughs> so so <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, hey, we're going to get out of here. Uh, I want to wish everybody happy holidays. I've got one more episode in the works. And so we'll talk a little bit more about Christmas and the holidays as went on the next episode. Uh, so we're going to end this with a song. This is a newly released track. I don't even know if it's released yet or if it's going to be hitting social or, uh, streaming sites soon. But this is the song called Stew, which is by Gradient featuring Chris Kalika. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm feeling good, it's got to be real because I can't fake it. As far as looking good, I'm hoping that rhyming with conviction and heart is more essential. So we'll see. Not long ago, I lost a home and a car in the same day And in the moment, I thought that I may break But even though it was harder to stay focused Well, if you know me, you know I never vacate Not when the world been spinning like a Beyblade Gripping it, ripping it until the things shake Destabilize and never maintain But take from your neighbor, that's a great gain With Senator Zent to play the same game Inside a trade so they can make bank So the Kirsten Cinemas and Joe Mansions Got their home cinemas and their old mansions Wanna put their pay before you Ooh, then we cry and vote blue Really don't know what's inside of your Stew. But I know that never can I now trust you If your heart's made of coal, we then combust you Walls up, no Kool-Aid man could bust through I'm looking like Schoolie D meets the Tooley P Plus the food he eats is up to Can't help it, I do mean to disrupt you Cause any looming trust is up, dude 
I'm low on charge, let me write you later Then who needs up, Pikachu? Electric shock and all, verbal bocking all Watch I'm walking all on your vocabulary On a tear like I'm perforated, aerated, percolated All the perjury I thought I had to bury So now the Ryan Gorys and the David DeMarks Across five years that made fake remarks Yo, when you're spreading a lie and you're not getting it right I think the evidence might be one place to start When you betray the truth, then you betray yourself Stew in the pain and try and drain it slow I can understand we getting tricked into bullying But hurry up and take responsibility, bro Being homeless and carless, got nothing on the pain of bigoted harm And my people frequently targeted So when I speak, I keep receipts Please proceed, Cali Yeah, many men can't walk a mile of my shoe Took a while, I got proof Not in style, I got move Dumb it down, but I tried and they lied to a job I'm not cool And everyone inside, but not you Always wanna sit on the side of my pool Think it got way more pride than I do Oh well, still living alive, I'm not through Pick it up and then I'm putting it down beside you And I cry till I'm blue Really don't know what's inside of your stool But I stay ten toes down in my shoe Made it kinda sick of resipping, I had a flu Would've been different and given it time, but I'm through I was trying to make me a hole to climb through Everybody told me you're too hard to find you 